Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at Whit Riverside. Good morning. This morning we're going to be continuing our series looking at the I Am statements of Jesus. And we're going to be looking this morning at the statement, I am the resurrection and the life. So before we look together at the passage where Jesus makes this statement, let's pray. Father, I pray that you speak to us this morning through your Holy Spirit, that we will come away this morning with a greater understanding of what it means for Jesus to be the resurrection and the life. So I pray that you give us listening ears as we listen to the whisper of your Holy Spirit this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know about you, but I hate being late. I hate being late for something when I'm meeting someone or I've got an appointment or I've got to be somewhere at a specific time. And I think the reason I hate being late is because of a very mild childhood trauma. See, when I was younger, me and my family used to go every couple of years to a campsite in France for our holidays. And when we went to this campsite in France, we used to drive onto the ferry which took us uh, to France and then drive to the campsite. So we're all really excited as a family uh, for our holiday to France and we get up at 5am in the morning, bright and early, pack up the cars, all in great moods and off we go for our about a 45 minute journey from Bournemouth to Paul where we were going to get onto our ferry to take us to France. So in the car on the way to Paul, we're in great spirits We're singing together, we're all going on a summer holiday. We're in great moods, even though it was 5am in the morning. But we're in great moods. We get there about an hour early because we're so excited for our holiday. Until we join the queue to show our passports in customs. And my dad turns around and says to us, says to the children in the back, does anyone know where the passports are? See, as soon as my dad said these words, we knew that something was up. Because normally it would be my dad who would bring the passports and get all of that side of things ready. And for him to turn around to three children in the back and ask if we, and ask if we knew where they were, there was clearly something wrong. So like I said, it was about a 45-minute journey from our home to Pool, where we were going to get on at the ferry. But it was about an hour till the ferry had arrived and we realised that we were going to have to go all the way home to try to get our passports and get back in time for the ferry to leave in one hour. 
So in absolute silence, no one spoke in the car. As my dad turned the car around and at the speed limit, went straight towards our house in Bournemouth to try and pick up our passports where he knew that he left in the side in his office. So we get back in absolute silence. We, at the speed limit, went back to, uh, to our house, picked up the passports, got straight back into the car, and in absolute silence, without any words being said, we turned the car around and head as fast, I mean, at the speed limit, to the ferry. So we arrived as we were going uh, into Paul, we arrived knowing we were about 10 minutes late for the ferry. But as we drive through into the customs, we realised that the ferry is still there. There was still a hope that we were going to be able to go on our holiday. And we whiz through customs. They didn't even care about our passports at this stage. We went straight past them onto the ferry and we just about made it for our holiday. But the trauma of the hour of sitting in silence in the car as we whizzed, I mean, went at the speed limit, to get home and pick up our passports and get back was too much for me to ever be late again. And I think it's changed the way I approach a meeting with someone. See, I think there are three different approaches to arriving to meet someone. The first approach is turning up when I turn up. You know, when I'm ready, I'll go and I'll meet them. If I'm 10, 15 minutes late, that's fine. You know, I'll, make, I'll be there, but I'll turn up when I turn up. The second approach is if we're meeting at half past six, I will get there exactly at half past six. If it's 28 minutes past six, I'm sitting in the car until it eventually gets to half past when I'll get out and I'll be there exactly on time. And the third approach are the early birds. Those that want to get there 10 minutes early, just in case the person they're meeting is also an early bird. See, early birds hate the idea of someone waiting for them to arrive. The problem comes when an early bird meets up with the casual, I'll turn up when I turn up person. See, the early bird will get there 10 minutes early and will be watching the door every minute, wondering where the person they're meeting is. It will be 32 minutes past when they were planning on meeting at half past and the early bird will be thinking, they're not turning up. It's not happening. They're not coming. Maybe I go home now. Surely they couldn't be two minutes late. The idea of someone being late for an early bird is just unthinkable. In John 11, we read of Mary and Martha, close friends of Jesus, desperately waiting for a late Jesus to arrive. You might remember these two, Mary and Martha, um, from the story where Mary pours perfume on Jesus and wipes his feet with her hair. The whole family, Mary, Martha, and their little brother, Lazarus, were much loved 
by Jesus. They were close friends with him and he loved them dearly. But Mary and Martha's little brother, Lazarus, was really ill. He was really ill, so Mary and Martha decided to send a runner to Jesus to tell him that Lazarus was ill and that they needed him to come back and be with them during this time. When Jesus got told this, when Jesus got told that Lazarus was ill, he said to the runner, Lazarus will not die from this illness. And he continued his ministry for a couple more days before eventually telling his disciples that they were going to go back to Judea, the place where they tried to kill Jesus. But Judea was where Lazarus had fallen ill. And Jesus' disciples said to him, why would you want to go to Judea? They will kill you. They tried to kill you last time. They will kill you. But Jesus says to them, we're going to see Lazarus because he has fallen asleep. And obviously, because they're the disciples and they don't seem to understand anything Jesus ever says, the disciples say, well, Jesus, I'm sorry, but you've got more important things than to give Lazarus a 7 a.m. wake up call. He doesn't need you to go and wake him up. He'll be fine. He'll wake up eventually. So Jesus, probably after a large sigh, says to his disciples, okay, Lazarus is dead. We're going to go and be with him and be with the family. So off Jesus goes with his disciples to Judea. And this is where I want us to pick up from this morning. So if you have your Bibles with you, would you open them with me to John chapter 11 as we look at the passage together? Often a problem with reading biblical stories where we know what's coming, we know how it ends, is we read it backwards. And I don't mean we read it backwards like the original text right to left, What I mean is we read it knowing how it ends and we don't put an emphasis on the emotions of the present. We often look at what's about to come, we look at the future and we ignore how they're feeling in the present. And I don't want us to do that this morning. As we read this passage, I want us to be aware of the emotions of this moment. This is such an emotional story. So much is going on. And for Mary and Martha and the family around Lazarus, this was an incredibly difficult time. For Mary and Martha, they're in this emotional time where not only were they trying to nurse their sick little brother to health, but they were eagerly waiting for Jesus to turn up and to be with them and help him heal. They wanted Jesus to come and help Lazarus heal. And they're watching the window. They're watching the door. Is Jesus going to arrive? Why is he not here yet? What's going on? 
Meanwhile, slowly, their little brother starts to feel more and more ill. And the desperate need for Jesus to hurry up and join them intensifies. But the killer blow comes. When the runner comes back, the person they sent out to tell Jesus about the illness comes back and Jesus is nowhere to be seen. And the runner tells Mary and Martha, Jesus said, this isn't the kind of illness that will end in death. And Jesus just carried on doing his ministry. They would have felt devastation. Their last hope of keeping their little brother alive decided it wasn't important enough to turn up. And their brother started to struggle to breathe until he died. I imagine not only did Mary and Martha feel immense sadness and grief during this time, but I imagine they would have felt a lot of anger towards Jesus. That Jesus didn't feel it was important enough to come back and be with them during Lazarus's death. And with this emotion in mind, with the grief, with the sadness, but also with the anger, let's pick up from verse 17. So verse 17 uh, says this. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jesus and many, from Jerusalem, sorry, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. So Lazarus has been dead for four days and as was tradition of the time, the family was sat around grieving together in the house that Lazarus had died. However, Martha, who was normally the quieter one of the siblings, seemingly very out of character, hears that Jesus is close by. And she decides to break the tradition of sitting around and grieving together as a family by leaving the home to meet Jesus before Jesus arrives to meet them. Now, whilst I completely understand uh, why this might be the case, I think this moment for Martha was the emotions, the sadness, the grief and the anger getting the better of her. And the reason I think that is the case is because of how she greets Jesus when she first finds him. Verse 21, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She's not quite saying, hello, how are you, Mr. Jesus? She goes straight to the point. Where were you? If you had been here, my brother would still be alive. When we needed you the most... You didn't turn up. And what Martha is saying 
may or may not be true. We don't know if Lazarus would have died if Jesus had got there earlier. But Martha, in her pain, is looking to the past at what Jesus had done. And in the time of suffering and pain, looking to the past isn't wrong. Scripture tells us to look at what God has done and how he has taken us through tough times. But Martha's looking back seems to me more recognisable and more human. Her looking back is, Jesus, where were you? Why weren't you with me? If you were really with me, then I wouldn't have gone through this suffering. Does anyone recognise this kind of looking back? I think these kind of questions, and by the way, I don't think they're wrong questions to ask. In fact, I think they're quite healthy questions to ask. You see lament throughout scripture. What are you doing, God? Where are you, God? I think they're healthy questions, but it's these questions that stop so many people from fully committing to a relationship with Jesus. How can God be loving and for me to have experienced what I have experienced in my past? Often that thing in our past has kind of defined us and it's affected how we see God. We struggle to reconcile a loving God with that thing in our past. And it tends to go one of two ways. Either we can't reconcile that he would love us because of what we did. Or we can't reconcile that he can be a loving God considering what has occurred to us. With any darkness in our past, with with any suffering in our past, the question has to be, where were you? Where were you? Following Jesus doesn't make us immune to pain and suffering. But it gives us a hope in the midst of it. It gives us knowledge that we are loved, comfort of a friend, a shoulder waiting to be cried on, the embrace of a father and above all of that, the hope that one day all of our pain and all of our suffering will be no more. And it's interesting that before Jesus wanted to sort anything out, before Jesus wanted to do anything miraculous, before Jesus wanted to sort the issue, we see later on in this passage that he sat with the family of Lazarus and he cried with them. He cares about your pain. He mourns in your suffering and he comforts us in our time of need. And as we read on from verse 22, Martha continues this conversation with Jesus. Verse 22, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. 
Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. I find verse 22 really funny, not because of what Martha said, but because I don't believe for one second that she meant what she said in the slightest. Martha says what I think is simply a religious platitude. She doesn't really believe what she is saying, but she's saying it because she thinks it's what she's supposed to say. And it sounds nice. American pastor Matt Chandler says that this is Martha's bumper sticker theology. It's a cute line, but it doesn't really mean anything. The kind of thing that she might have put on her social media before it became a lived out reality in her life. It's a bit like when we pray for God to do something or heal someone or provide and then We know that we're supposed to say, but God, your will be done. So reluctantly, with fingers crossed behind our back, we say, but your will be done. But we don't actually mean it. We just want God to heal. We just want God to provide. But we feel like we have to say these things. So we do. And the reason I think Martha didn't believe her own bumper sticker theology is because when Jesus tells her that her brother will rise again, Martha automatically thinks of way, way, way in the future. I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Now, don't get me wrong. This response from Martha is theologically great. In fact, she looks at the most important thing that Jesus can give any of us our own resurrection on the last day because of Jesus's resurrection. That one day there will be no more pain, there will be no more suffering and we will rise to live in eternity with him. This is the gospel, but it's not complete. And I'll come on to that in a minute. But first, let's look at Jesus's response, a response that smashes any argument that he is just a good teacher or a prophet. Jesus says, and here's the I am statement, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus claims to be the very reason Martha can have hope of the future resurrection of Lazarus on the last day. He claims to be the very reason that we have life. This statement is the very reason we can have hope for the future and that we can have hope even when we look upon the darkness of our past. But I want the Holy Spirit to reveal to us this morning that this statement doesn't only give us the future hope that Martha looks to, but it gives us a hope today of a different kind of life. I said that Martha's response to Jesus wasn't quite complete, but it's a response that I see a lot of me 
in. It's a response that I see a lot of the Western church in. Martha knew the hope for the future that comes through the resurrection of Jesus. But what she misses is that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. See, Martha, in order to reconcile the darkness of her past, her brother's death, she looked to the hope of the future. This is great. When we've gone through pain and we've gone through suffering, reminding ourselves that there will be a time without any pain and without any suffering is really important. But the problem can be, if you only have hope for the future resurrection, if you only have hope in the future resurrection, you might miss what God wants to do in our present. If you only have hope for the future resurrection, then you might miss what God wants to do in the present. If we box Jesus into being simply assurance for a future without pain, we may miss the hope and the healing that he wants to bring now. Many of us are carrying pain of the past that Jesus wants to heal in the present. That Jesus doesn't want to wait until the last day, until the resurrection, until we can be with him in heaven to heal. But he wants to heal in the present. Jesus is saying, you don't need to wait until the resurrection on the last day before you can have this healing. Because I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus wants to pull the hope of the future towards the present. He is longing for his father's kingdom to break through today. And if we skip to verse 38, we see a glimpse of the kingdom breaking through. It says... Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man. Sorry, but Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man. By this time there is a bad odour, for he has been there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. In raising Lazarus from the dead, Jesus does two things. Firstly, he backs up his words. That it's not only through his resurrection that we will one day have life, but that he 
is the resurrection and the life. And secondly, he shows that because he is the resurrection and the life, not only do we uh, have hope in the future, even amidst our past pain, but that we have a present hope whose name is Jesus, who longs for the kingdom of God to break through even today. Our present hope is Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life. So what kind of hope does Jesus being the resurrection and the life give us? Well, it gives us firstly hope through the darkness of our past. We know even with uh, the suffering and pain in our past, we know that because Jesus is the resurrection and the life, our suffering and our pain, our grief and loss is all temporary. And Jesus will bring healing to us both in the future and in the present. So it gives us hope in the past. It gives us hope in the future. Just like Jesus, we will rise again because he rose again. Martha's response to Jesus nails on the head this future hope. She said, I know he will rise again. Talk about Lazarus in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus says in verses 25 and 26, the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. So it gives us hope even amidst our past. It gives us hope in the future, but it also gives us hope for today. In verse 40, Jesus says to Martha, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Even in our present, God's glory shines through. We are invited to partner with him as his kingdom breaks through and changes lives today. And as I close, I just wanted to say that as I was preparing this sermon, God kept bringing me back to something that he wanted to do this morning. And I think there are some people watching today who are longing for a day where they no longer have to hold the pain and emotional trauma of something that has happened in their past. And they're longing for a day where there's no pain and no suffering, where their pain will be completely gone. And I really believe that God is wanting to say this morning, you don't have to wait. Jesus is the resurrection and the life today. And he wants to bring the future hope of healing to be pulled into the present. So if this is you and there's some emotional healing that that you're looking to take place right at the end, on the last day when we get resurrected with Jesus, God is saying this morning, let me cry with you. Let me heal you of that pain, of that emotional trauma that you've gone through. I don't want you to have to wait and hold this for so long. I want to heal you today. 
So if this is you, then I want to encourage you to ask a friend to pray with you about this or equally to come to Riverside at some point this week and ask one of us to uh, pray with you that you will be healed of this emotional pain. Jesus wants the hope of the future to break through and be our present hope today. Let's pray. God, thank you for the hope that we have because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Thank you that we could have future hope, that we will rise with him and be able to live with him for eternity, a place where there'll be no pain and suffering. And thank you that we can have hope even when we look at our past hurt and suffering, that that will be no more one day. But Lord, I pray specifically that we will know the hope of today that is given through Jesus being the resurrection and the life. I pray for anyone that is holding on to pain, that is holding on to uh, trauma, that is holding on to grief. Lord, it's so hard. It's so hard. There's so much suffering in it. There's so much pain in it. And God, I pray that we will know your healing today as you want to pull the kingdom to earth today. Let your kingdom come, we pray. So Lord, I just pray for anyone that um, feels a nudge from the Holy Spirit to, uh, to step out and do that really painful and hard thing of, asking for healing for something in the past. Lord, I just pray that you'll give courage to those people, that they will uh, be able to step out and begin a journey of healing. So we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside.